Discover community, find hope, and experience God. This is Discovering Hope with Pastor Paul Knight. I gave my life to Jesus Christ in about 1973, the summer between my 8th and 9th grade year, at a meeting. It was and has been life transforming for me. And at the core of my being, I have this impassioned desire to see people come to faith in Jesus to experience the forgiveness that I experienced because of the stupid, crazy, dumb things, even as an eighth grader and seventh grader that I experienced, uh, stealing and lying and all kinds of things. In my enthusiasm and what I felt like was so important to me, or to God, actually life or death for eternity, um, I wish I would have done some things better. I really do. In September of my ninth grade year, I, I was a brand new Christian. I was together with a couple of my friends, and I turned to one of them, and I asked him if he'd ever thought of giving his life to Jesus. And he looked at me, and he said, no, to me, like Jesus isn't even real. And then he compared Jesus to some fictitious character. And I looked at him and said, you've got to be kidding me. And so I did something that I shouted down the hallway of our ninth grade class, in between classes. I shouted down the hallway. I said, how many of you believe in such and such a character? And nobody raised their hand. And I looked at my buddy and I said, see... And I said, how many of you believe in Jesus? And a whole bunch of them raised their hands. And I turned to him and I said, see, nobody believes like you do. And he looked at me and he said, don't ever talk to me about Jesus again. Because I humiliated him. Not on purpose. It's just I wasn't sensitive freshman year of college I'm sitting with another friend and she's a good friend of my wife and I at, at this time and uh, Bonnie we weren't husband and wife yet we were boyfriend and girlfriend but, but they were good friends and, and I was sitting with her and, and I explained to her about her need for Jesus and, and she kind of agreed with me and, and I drew this chart on the table and I, I showed how she was on one side and God was on the other and, and how uh, she needed to be forgiven for her sin it was, it was a brilliant presentation it really was it was, it was like spot on and she looked at me and she said, I'm not ready yet. And so in my enthusiasm, I said, look it, I'll call her Sally. That wasn't her name. Sally, this is like a window of opportunity that I think God has given you right now. And it's probably going to close. I could have sold something. I could have been a salesman. But I said, it'll probably close. And then this window of opportunity may never open again for the rest of your life. If you get up from this table, you'll probably spend eternity in damnation. And she looked at me and she said, I can't believe you would say that. And she said, I'm not ready. And she got up and I said, you need to get ready. Do you ever feel like your attempts at helping people discover Jesus, maybe they weren't as as crazy as mine, but do you ever feel like they, they just aren't effective? 
Like you, it's the thing you want so much to have happen. And yet you're so poor at it. No offense. Right, I, I was, I was reading this story about Jesus. He, Jesus tells this parable. He, uh, actually, actually, if you have your Bible, turn to, to Mark chapter four. He has this por- parable, and we call it the parable of the sower. I'm wondering if it's misnamed. Jesus didn't name it, but he, he, he says in, in Mark chapter four, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in, set it in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow, But when the sun came up and the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root, other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and grew quickly, produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus says this, whoever has ears, let them hear. And then he goes on to explain to the disciples about the soil. He he says that, that some seed fell on the path. And Satan comes and, and takes the seed away. And he talks about the soil in the rocky places. They, they hear it, they receive it, there's joy, and then trouble comes, and they fall away. And then the seed among the thorns, where, where the, the, the seed is planted among the thorns, and there's worries of life and wealthy wealth and, and all things, and, and they come and choke the word of God, and then there's the seed of the good soil that yields 30, 60, 100 fold. Jesus is talking about this farmer that goes out and scatters seed along on a wrong rocky path where, where the sun scorches it uh, amongst the thorns uh, on the rocky soil and then this good soil. And I'm wondering if maybe, I'm wondering if maybe, rather than not just saying, oh, I guess those people just weren't ready to hear. I wonder if Jesus is telling us more to pay attention to the soil. I mean, some of you are, are farmers or, or have farming heritage, and you know the cultivation of the soil is so important in the receiving of the seed. I wonder if we'd be better off calling this the parable of the soils, the hard soil, the rocky soil, the weedy soil, and the good soil. I wonder if the Father would be telling us Rather than just brush your feet off and say, well, I guess they weren't ready. I wonder if the Father would be telling us through his power of his spirit, pay attention when planting and telling people about me to the soil of their heart. Maybe the Father would be telling us, do the work of soil preparation rather than presentation of a diagram or a set of four statements, all of which I've done, and all of which at times have worked. But I think times have changed so much, and there's so much distrust for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, those that aren't, that maybe we need to think of a long game. Maybe we need to listen to the Spirit and say, God, is this person ready 
God, have I done what needs to be done so that their hearts are open to what you have to say? It's the thing that we want to do so much and yet are so poor at it. Some of you have heard of, of like, I've never met one, but, but I've watched videos on horse whispers. How many of you have heard of a horse whisper? A horse whisperer is, is a person who has a profession or, or maybe what you would call a gifting, right? A profession or a gifting where they would take a tormented, bruised, and beaten horse. And they'd be called in to help that horse become submissive and mastered so that in its freedom of submission and mastery, it would be beautiful. So the horse whisperer, I, I, I guess, like, like, like we'll, we'll, we'll rope the horse and, and do things and, and get its attention and, and march it around and, 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 and just pay attention to it and, and look for the thing inside. Speak to it. Gently creating a connection and intimacy. Knowing that inside is something beautiful and powerful and amazing if it was submissive and master. The horse whisperer will talk in such a way that, that this animal starts to relax and builds trust. And eventually you can put a blanket over its back and eventually a saddle on its back and eventually a master. The horse whisperer draws this intimacy and this trust and this relationship so that the the animal eventually wants what's happening. I'm wondering in today's day, if God is more calling us less to be presenters and more about helping people hear. Maybe we, I'm not saying we shouldn't speak the gospel at all. We'll come to that in a couple of weeks. But, but I'm wondering if we need to pay more attention to less telling and more preparing to hear. I, I wonder if we could discover the art of being soul whisperers. People who build trust people who build intimacy, people who, who seek out what's inside a person and draw it out so that the Father can bring them, so that the Spirit can bring them, so that the Son can bring them into submission and mastery by Him in a beautiful way so that their freedom of submission is beautiful and wonderful and life-transforming. I wonder if we thought of our evangelism more like soul whispering and less like a transaction if we would do better. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how this works, this idea of, of building relationship with people so that in the end, so that in the end, they see something in you that you have seen in them, and we can join together. Imagine, imagine uh, if the soil that people were just saying, oh, well, I guess they weren't ready, was your son or your daughter, or your mother or father, or your neighbor, or you, your colleague at work, and you want so desperately 
for them to know Jesus. And he wants someone to be patient with them and loving with them and caring for them and not just treat them as I have in the past as a transaction. Well, I presented the gospel and they weren't ready. Here's the first thing I'd like us to hear. Discovering the art of being a spiritual influencer, be becoming like Jesus. Be becoming like Jesus. A soul whisperer. A soul whisperer. What I'd like us to do is, is to think in terms of this being a process and looking at some of the characteristics of Jesus. Jesus had this amazing capacity, you guys, that he was able to see people in a way that, that let, let, me, let me tell you a story. Uh, you know the story of, of Jesus changing water into wine, right? Some of you know that, right? Jesus was at the wedding. It was the first miracle that he ever did. First miracle that he ever did. He was at, in the city of Cana. Uh, he was at a wedding. His mother comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, they ran out of wine. Jesus says, it's not my time yet. His mother says, and, and the father, I assume, communicated to him, it is time, right? And so Jesus sees the water in these big pots. I, I'm not going to do the whole story. You can, you can read it, right? He, he sees his, the water in these big pots and... Uh, he sees something different than other people see. And, and, and so he told the servants to go pour out the water. And somewhere between the initial water in the vase or in the pot and the pouring, it became wine. Jesus performed his first miracle. right? And, and, and here, here's what I, what I want to invite us to think about, is that when we see people, do we see what they can become or do we see just what they are? Do you see water or do you see wine? When you see someone that's rebellious and broken and, and, and tempered and angry and full of anxiety and hurting and tense and, and divided from people, when you see that, do you, do you see water or do you see what God has in store for them? Do you see that what, what God would, if there would be a, a relationship and an intimacy and a joy and a, and a trust built, do you see what they could become or do you just see what they are? I love the story of Jesus when he encounters Matthew, the tax collector. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus sees this tax collector at this tax booth. And in those days, the tax collectors were hated people. Not so unlike today. Right? Except that maybe, maybe the tax collectors in those days cheated much more than they do today. I'm not saying tax, if you're a tax collector, I, I went too far on that. I'm not saying you, you cheat. Uh, it just feels like, no, I'm just, not you, right? But this tax collector, they, they were, they were cheaters. Government paid cheaters. They had military behind them. And almost everybody disliked all of the tax collectors, if you, unless you were one. And this particular tax collector, Matthew, was wealthy, which means he was really good at it. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Oh my goodness, wait, wait. And Matthew got up and followed him. Pause. Jesus sees Matthew in a way that other people haven't seen. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing that, that Matthew sensed it. That there's something about the love of Christ that was pouring through him. And, and, and Jesus saw him and invited him to come and be a part of him, his life. And then it says, 
while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, oh my goodness, Jesus went to Matthew's house. Right? Matthew, it, it says that they're sinners and, and other tax collectors and all kinds of like inappropriate people hanging out at Matthew's house and Jesus is right there in the midst. I love that, by the way. Jesus willing to put himself in proximity of people that he cares about. He doesn't just hang out with the religious people. He puts himself in the proximity of people that he's trying to draw out the best from them. The, the, the God-given imago Dei, the image of God within, that they could be restored in relationship to the Father. Jesus was on a mission of mercy to this man, Matthew. Listen, listen. when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with, eat with tax collectors and sinners? Just to be clear, probably prostitutes and, and, and other forms of sinners were there and Jesus having dinner with them. Jesus, the holy man, the, 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 the son of God Almighty is hanging out with... On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've come to call the righteous, not sinners. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners. What would it mean for us to be becoming more like Jesus in his mercy for people who are stuck in stuff? And for us to hang out with them. There's the woman at the well. Right, We call her the Samaritan woman. Listen to this. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Jesus, Jesus in proximity, putting himself with, went across racial divides into an area where his religion said you shouldn't even touch those people. You should avoid them so that you don't get contaminated by them. And he sees something in her that he wants to draw out. He sees a brokenness in her that he wants to mercify. I made that word up. That that, that he wants to extend mercy to. He sees something of rejections and hurts. And she can be made whole. He sees something beautiful in her Jesus answered if you knew the gift God of God and who it is that asked you for a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water sir the woman said you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where can I get this living water are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did all his also his sons and his livestock Jesus answered everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus saw her and encountered her and saw not just her sinfulness, although he knew her story. He saw something deep in her that she could be a spiritual influencer herself. She went into town. She told everybody. I wonder how often we look at somebody 
and we see just water rather than wine. I wonder how often we see someone so broken and wounded and full of shame that we who know Jesus Christ relegate her or him to too far gone. I love the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man. Too short, so he climbs a tree. This is a man at his core who wants to see Jesus. I love this story because of a couple reasons. I love it because he's short. I'm five foot seven and three quarters. The average American male is five foot eight and getting taller. Apparently, recently in my doctor's report, I'm getting shorter. So I'm, I'm, on, a, I'm on a sliding scale. I, I love this story because Zacchaeus had this burning desire in him to see who this guy was. What if God used you in a way with your friendships and your relationships so that someone, because they know you, wants to see Jesus? Here's another reason I like this story. Jesus didn't walk up to Zacchaeus and say, Hey, Zach, uh, the, the deal, before we go any further, I need you to know some things. Those of us who follow me, we don't like the sin of greed. Right, just so you know, I mean, we don't want to make any mistakes that you would start hanging out with us and not have it, and not fully understand that we're against the whole greed thing or whatever sin you want to put in there. I'm asked all the time by people, do the people that come to your church know about this sin or this sin or this sin and that you're against it? My goal is that people see Jesus And the result of that, seeing real Jesus, will end up in holiness. Will end up in freedom. Will end up in his grace. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him. Once since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, he saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him. And if you skip down the story, it says Jesus said to everybody, today salvation is coming to this house because the greedy man gave up all of his greed and started to spread out his money. Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. He went to his house for dinner. One more. In become, be becoming like Jesus so that we can learn the art or discover the art of being soul whispers. The apostles and Jesus had been teaching all day long, and Jesus got into a boat, and he wanted to get away from the crowds. The crowds ran along the shore to meet him where he was coming, where he was going. It says that Jesus saw the crowds. and says this. He was filled with compassion. One of the characteristics of being a soul whisperer or a spiritual influencer is the ability to see, is the ability to feel, is the ability to love and care. Jesus saw the crowd and it says he was filled with compassion. Compassion is like an internal 
gut-wrenching. He says he saw them with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I wonder how I see crowds of people who are doing things that, that, that I, I just look at the crowd and say, Huff. and maybe inside. So how many of you have seen the movie Jesus Revolution? I saw it last night. Lonnie Frisbee, who's one of the characters in the film, True Story, says to Chuck Smith about all of the crowds of the drug users and the barefoot hippies that were coming to his church. He said basically, he said this, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Can you imagine if we saw crowds of people with compassion rather than just disdain? Imagine if, if God was allowing us to see them in a way that would cause us to pray for them and to seek to meet their needs. It, it says that, that Jesus saw them with compassion. He taught them for a while, and then he told the disciples, go feed them. And the disciples, we, we don't have enough food. What do you mean, go feed them? There's like 5,000 people here. We don't have enough resources. I wonder how often our first reaction to our ability to do what Jesus is calling to do is that we don't have the resources. And we miss out on opportunities. Because we look at what we have first rather than who he is and what he has. We look at, I can't. I don't think I can influence my friends towards Christ. I don't think I can have this in me. I, don't, I want to. I want to see them come to faith, but I want to bring them to somebody else. I can't do it. And I don't have the resources. I, don't have, I wonder how often we miss an opportunity that God is placing before us because we don't have it now. Like, what would happen if we'd say, God, I want to see my friends in a different way. I want to see crowds of people in a different way. I want to see sinful people in a different way. I want to see lonely people in a different way. God, I want to actually want to see them. I want, I, I want to be a part of their lives so that you can draw out the best in them. So they don't just give up. God, that you would use me and all of my friends or us as a church to prepare the soil of their hearts so that they want to see you and experience you and follow you and have you make them into something new. I wonder what would happen. if we would truly value people, like even the people that we look at and wonder, uh, how, how could they be like that? I wonder if like a soul whisperer, we could begin to look into them, ask God to give us insight into their heart. Our colleagues at work, our friends who are destroying other relationships, are the people that we watch that are making horrible choices. I wonder if God would allow us to see the depths inside of them so that we could begin to see what they could be rather than just what they are. I wonder if we, the church, could exercise relational patience, still have an urgency, but relaxed about it, trusting God's mercy and grace as we walk and prepare the soil day by day month by month, maybe even year by year. I wonder if in proximity, 
Jesus could be so real to us that people would sense him in us. Maybe, maybe that's where we need to go next. Discovering the art of being a spiritual influencer. By the way, there's only two points this morning. Be becoming like Jesus and learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed. I wonder if we would allow our understanding of following to be less like a decision we make for Jesus and more like a lifestyle of every day listening to him. I wonder if we would allow ourselves to think of our relationship with Jesus less like a transaction or a punch card, I'm going to heaven, and more like a lifestyle of learning to listen to his spirit. I wonder if we made it a prayer of ours. Lord, I'd like to learn the art of being a soul whisperer, of helping be a spiritual influencer, so that because of my intimacy with you, others would want to enter into a relationship with you. I wonder what would happen if we were so alive spiritually that we had streams of living water flowing from us. If our friendships would be different, our colleagues at work would be different, our kids would be different if Jesus was actually more alive in us. Is that fair to say? It says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power, you'll be my witnesses. I wonder what would happen if the church got sick and tired of doing things in our own strength and just begged God for the display of this power. Not, not in, not in kind of like the fancy stuff, but the power to be witnesses. The power to display more of God's grace and mercy. The power to value people more. The power to see what's best in them. I wonder if we asked God, like for the sake of my kids who don't know you yet, or for the sake of my mom and dad who don't know you yet, or for the sake of my neighbors who don't know you yet, or for the sake of my colleagues at work who don't know you yet, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on me and in me so that people sense the aliveness of your son Jesus in me 
and not just me trying so hard. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. In our asking for the Holy Spirit, I wonder if God would like us just to say, you know what, change your mind about that sin that you have so common in you. Like if you really want me to flow free, maybe you, maybe you want to give up that thing that we've been talking about to change your mind about, to repent, to turn from, from your sins so that refreshing may come. I'm guessing a lot of us have seen what's going on in Asbury College, the awakening or the revival. And I, uh, I've been praying this prayer for a couple years now. It's a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on Shigunayoth. By the word, the word Shigunayoth, I have no idea what it means. Right? Either does anybody else. But here's what they think it means. It means a strong emotion. A wild tumult within. Habakkuk is crying out, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Lord, I've heard of your fame. Like, wouldn't it be amazing, again, for people around us to be so drawn to Christ through us because they're sensing the love of Christ from us, the mercy of Christ from us, the hope of Christ in us. Wouldn't it be so amazing if they actually saw life change in us, things that we used to do and say and be, transformed by the power of God because we've turned from those things and we've asked for refreshing. Wouldn't it be so amazing to not just read about someplace else the work of God but here. Just out of curiosity, how many of you work with someone else who is a follower of Jesus Christ if in fact you're a Christ follower? Someone else in your building what would happen if once a week students or faculty or businessmen or women or whatever, farmers, whatever, wherever you work, what would happen if once a week you would gather for 15 minutes and just say, God, we've heard about it in the past. Would you do it again? Would you refresh us, your people? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us? Would you help us, Father, become more like your Son and help us in the art of being spiritual influencers so that people would want to be like us because they see you? Heavenly Father, we've heard of your fame. 
God, as I read in your word and I see things and I hear things, I stand in awe of your deeds. God, would you do them again? Not for a splash, but for life transformation in us so that our lives are attractive and beautiful and inflamed with love and mercy and grace and holiness. In our day, Father, in wrath, remember mercy. Don't let the people around us stay poor soil. Help us to cultivate in a way that they are receptive 